go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 586. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Will you tease the topic of today's show? Yes. So we are in the middle of February. And if you it's guys... called Empruary, sweetie. Empruary, as Todd likes to call it. And if you guys remember, we decided to dedicate this month of February, which is the month of love, uh, to empathy volume. And what empathy volume means to us is how to turn up our empathy to stay connected, but how to turn it down to avoid burnout. And that's kind of the place that we're all trying to... This, this middle place that we're supposed to find, because I don't know if you guys, you know, read all the news when it comes to, you know, connection or disconnection or what's happening during, you know, what's been happening during this pandemic as far as relating to people's stories or not at all relating. Like, for example, there's people who don't want to wear masks and who don't care what people think. And then there's people who are attending to people's needs every day, like healthcare workers and teachers. And so maybe the people who are like, I'm not going to, you know, practice these mitigations that have been recommended, maybe need to turn their empathy volume up. Mm -hmm. But these people who are being paralyzed and not wanting to go out of their house to go get groceries might need to turn it down a little bit. Well, I was just going to talk about instead the healthcare workers and the teachers Uh, who are being through their profession Mm. are exposed continuously, they may need to have a practice of coming home and turning down their empathy so they can release the experience they had during the day. But the examples you gave are also, you know, connected, meaning that people who are scared to death may need to, and they feel overwhelmed by it, may need to figure out this middle place. So Todd and I are calling this empathy volume, you know, it's turning the dial to figure it out. And last week we talked about how to be a mindfully caring person, meaning who do you want to focus on? Who do you want to care about? What do you want to care about? And putting your energy toward those things in a mindful way. What's week two? So week two, we're focusing on how to turn it down a little bit, how to not get overwhelmed by empathy. And I thought maybe the best way that we can do this is by talking about the three types of empathy. Oh, okay. I hope you know what they are because I don't. I do. I have them in front of me. Oh, but wait. You... Cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. Correct. Oh, but I just, I, I'm reading my notes. Yes. So basically... Um, Psychologist Daniel Goleman and Paul Ekman, um, they broke down this concept of empathy into these three categories. And I think it's very relevant mm. when we're talking about empathy burnout, um, how we are being empathetic makes a big difference. And if we can maybe shift ourselves from one to the other, yeah. we may decrease how much energy we feel like we have to use. So do you I, do you want to explain the first one, which is cognitive empathy? Sweetie, you're just supposed to tease. I got all this other stuff. Oh, go ahead, hon. Go Zen, ahead. Zen moments. We got your calendar thing. Oh, yeah. So Kathy has this Buddhist Zen calendar thing, and this is short but sweet. Sunday, February 7th. The bamboo shadows sweep the stairs, but no dust is stirred. I'm going to say it again. The bamboo shadows sweep the stairs, but no dust is stirred. So, And who and who said it? It's a Zen saying. It's a Zen it saying. A Zen. So it sounds like a tree is hitting a staircase, and uh, the light from the shadow from the tree is hitting a staircase, but nothing is being disrupted. So in other words, there's a staircase, 
and you could see a shadow, but no dust is being stirred. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I thought you, you told me you were going to explain this one to me. No, I'm not going to explain nothing. You said the other when I when you All read right, I'll, this. I'll give my I'll give my best. Okay, pull just because something. Wait, before you do that, will you pull up your microphone just a little? Because you're going in and out to me. There you go. She goes in and out, out and, and in and, and out. out. That's that song is is what it says it is. Mama's got a squeeze box. Right, but do you know what that means? It's an accordion. Oh. Okay. What do you think it means? Well, you may think some, it's sex. There's some innuendo in that song. Could be, but Mama's got a squeeze box. Daddy never sleeps at night because she's always playing it's the accordion. About the boy's pet dragon. <laughs> Puff is just the name of the boy's magical dragon. That's it. <laughs> Are you a pothead fucker? Oh my gosh. Okay. So anyway, um, going back to this. so just because something's there. Okay. So the shadow is on the staircase. Okay. Doesn't mean that it necessarily takes up space. Okay. I totally don't know what I'm talking okay, about. Okay. See, when we discussed, you're like, I think I could talk through this one. That's as far as I got. So I'm kind of. The reading. bamboo shadows sweep the stairs, but no dust is stirred. How, how much more simple can I make it for you, sweetie? <laughs> Fold in the cheese. <laughs> Fold in the cheese. Um, so I think I'm, I'm kind of hearing what you're saying, which is that it really is just a shadow. Mm -hmm. It's not really mm -hmm. the bamboo, which means that because it's just a shadow or a thought or something fleeting or not real that we've created, it doesn't need to mess with the dust. <laughs> that's that's as far as I'm going to go with it. Okay. I think we could do a whole podcast on it, but we got a lot to get through, and I want to play the Schitt's Creek thing. Okay. To you. So try to keep up. Um, oh, next step is to fold in the cheese. <laughs> what does that mean? What does fold in the cheese mean? He folds it in. I, I understand that, but how, how do you fold it? Do you fold it in half like a piece of paper and drop it in the pot, or what do you do? David, I cannot show you everything. Okay, well, can you show me one thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's from a show called Shit's Creek that has won every award possible in the last year, and I'm actually sick of seeing it on the award stage because nobody, el nobody else wins anything. Well, it's one I, of those deals. Like when Adele wins nine Grammys in a row, like, come on, give somebody else something. Well, first of all, that only happened at the Emmys and it hasn't happened since, meaning that the Golden Globes and the SAGs were just announced. So it's not like they've won any of those yet. Yeah. So really, it just happened at the Emmys and they what did. What do you think is going to happen at the Emmys? Um, The Emmys already happened and oh. they won all of them. What do you think, what do you think is going to happen at the Golden, Golden Globes? Golden Globes and the SAGs? I don't know. I mean, there's a high probability that they'll win, but I don't know if it'll be such a sweep. I'm getting a little Schitt's Creek burnout on the awards thing. But you haven't even watched the show. Oh, that's not true. I watched like four or five episodes, and it's so, good. I like it. It's just, I, whatever. Well, I just feel like maybe if you watched it, you'd be like, this is great. I'm so happy for them because they were such an underdog. They were on pop TV. Sweetie, I Nobody was, watched. I was, I was totally with you, and then you went to Galena and watched the entire series I did. in like two days. I did, and now I watch it regularly just in the background okay so if anybody knows what the bamboo shadow thing is <laughs> just email me I, people seem to explain to us these zen concepts yeah which jerry evans I appreciate. <laughs> my friend jerry said uh he'll, he's willing to explain it so explain this one to me okay sounds good zen moment are you yes, ready i'm ready okay so my sweet my sweetheart does this zen moment twice zen a week parenting moment Tuesdays and Fridays. Tuesday, Tuesdays and Fridays. And if you haven't subscribed yet, just go to zenparentingradio.com. This one is titled Peacemakers. And it always starts out with a quote from Nelson. And this one is from Nelson Mandela. The first thing is to be honest with yourself. You can never have an impact on society 
if you have not changed yourself. Great peacemakers are all people of integrity, of honesty, but humility. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. You want me to read the first two paragraphs? Uh, Why don't you just read the first paragraph? We are a society built on default settings of the majority experience, causing us to ignore or stay silent about things we don't experience or can't personally relate to. Some of us recognize injustices early in our lives and actively become an ally or advocate for equality. But many of us use our privilege to go about our lives without considering disparity. Is that the end of the paragraph or do I... You can stop there. Okay. So... um... I actually took this Zen parenting moment that came out last Friday directly from my book because there's this section where I talk about why we need to talk about things that are difficult. And so this paragraph or this Zen parenting moment is supposed to encapsulate all sorts of things, meaning why we don't talk about race in our home, maybe why we don't talk about sex education, why we don't talk about, you know, sexuality, gender, um, you know, that we avoid a lot of topics thinking we're somehow protecting our children when actually it's quite the opposite, Mm -hmm. that you need to have these conversations, especially when it's about people's rights being taken away or oppressing people or not having the truth about the history of our country. And so, but what I decided to do is this is Black History Month. And so I just took that section from my book, but I made it more specific to race. Mm -hmm. Um, And then talked about, like at the end of the Zen Parenting Moment, there's actually a link that you guys can find on our website that has a list of um, anti-racist books, um, a bunch of Instagram thought leaders that Todd and I follow who um, keep us educated when it comes to race and give us ideas, thoughts, ways to be allies and activists, um, how to reconsider maybe things we say, do, um, ways that we can just continue to become more educated about race and how to talk to kids about it. One more time. How would you get access to the list that you put together? So if you go to zenparentingradio.com and you click on like the most recent, it, I think it says something like at the bottom it says, most recent things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't say that, but it says something like that. And if you click on it, it will give you our most, our latest, oh, the latest, I think it says. The okay. latest podcast, the latest blog, and the latest blog is anti-racist books and thought leaders. Got it. Oh, yeah, it's right there. So yeah. lower right-hand corner, at least on my laptop, I don't know what it looks like on and the And what phone. does it say? It's called The Latest. The Latest. Yeah. And the, the books, the anti-racist books that we refer to, we've talked about a lot of them on this show. Um, And there's also some lists of books for kids Mm. and for teens So um, that uh, I didn't come up with. They're from the New York Times or from Common Sense Media. I just kind of linked to them. So anyway, uh, Peacemakers is what that Zen Parenting Moment is called. And it's about the fact that if we want to become peacemakers in the world, we have to start by being peacemakers in our home by looking at ourselves and our beliefs and our privilege, working through that. And then giving our kids another way forward. Got it. Because we can't teach something we haven't learned. Yeah. We have to become educated and we have to unlearn things that we've learned. So You must unlearn what you have learned. As Yoda says. Um, empathy, cognitive, yes. emotional, and compassionate. Yes. Let me take the easiest one. Okay, go ahead. And I'm just making this up. Okay, so which one are you taking? Cognitive. Cognitive, okay. So what I know about empathy is seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. Okay. Okay. Cognitive means can I logically use my brain mm-hmm. to really think about what it would be like to be you, 
mm-hmm. or to be my daughters or to be my a stranger walking down the street. So for me, it's like, let's use this wonderful mechanism that we have in our skull to best interpret as best we can what it would be like to be that person. Yeah. So the key is the word cognitive. Mm -hmm. So basically it's the ability to understand how a person feels, what they might be thinking. Um, And cognitive empathy makes us better communicators because we can relay information. Basically, it's like if someone say, you know, when people teach you how to be a good listener, they say, just say back to a person what they said to you. Reflect it back. Reflect it back. And so basically cognitive is I understand what you're saying and I can understand why that would bother you, but it's a very cerebral Mm -hmm. experience. So for example, last week we were talking, we talked a little bit about empathy and, and burnout, even though that's more today. And we talked about how maybe a surgeon is going to be a lot more cognitively empathetic in that they need to stay on a certain, they can't go too deep into someone's empathetic experience or else then they're going to get lost in the feeling. They need to stay outside of it. Correct. So they need to stay on that cognitive level. And I think that this, well, let's go through them and then I kind of want to mix and match them. But I think cognitive empathy is a wonderful quality but it, it doesn't always get to the heart of someone's experience. So let me uh, throw a curveball at you right Okay. Now. So one of the things that I've learned in this coaching certification program that I'm doing right now is the person states the issue that they want to work on, yep. and then you reflect back it with the exact same language back to them so yep. that they know that you heard what it is that they just said to you. Right. Now, I do that, and I think it's really important, and I think it's impactful, but... I don't think that you do that in a non-coaching or non-therapeutic session, do you? Like that, it would be seem weird if all of a sudden you came to me with a problem and we're in the kitchen, and I say, "Well, what I heard you say was blah 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 blah." Do you think that there's value in normal conversations between two people to do something similar to that? I think there is, but you don't want to do it in a formulaic way because yeah. then it sounds really like. Like if you said something to me, you were like, I'm really upset because you haven't noticed my new haircut. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then I can say, I could say back to you, well, it sounds like I'm not noticing you. Mm -hmm. And what, that's what I hear that you're saying to me. And so I'm sorry, I missed that. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to be like, what I heard you say was, because that's a very coachy therapeutic tool where you can do reflective listening doesn't have to be a verbatim regurgitation of what you just said. It's more of a, I can relate. And the cognitive empathy is, it could even, in it, it could even be, I felt that before too. I understand. I yeah. cognitively understand why that would bother you because you didn't notice a new dress that I bought last week. And mm-hmm. so I've had a similar experience. There's like a, a thinking response yeah. to it. Yeah. I hear that. Okay. okay. So the next one, you want to do the next one? Emotional. So uh-huh. for me... Like I said, I'm just making this up as I go along. It is tapping, getting out of my head and tapping into my body and my heart. Yes. Um, So in other words, the only way possible for me to be emotionally empathic, I don't know the difference between empathic and empathetic. Is it the exact same word, just spelled differently? Mm -hmm. The only way for me to be emotionally empathic to, to you saying something to me or anybody saying something to me is I need to be aware of what I'm feeling. I yes. need to be 
and I can't know how I'm feeling if I'm in my cognitive brain mechanism. So I, so for me, it's to tap into what's going on inside of me as I'm hearing whatever it is that you're describing. And it's a practice for me, one that I am still working on. Um, but it's to feel, and it's weird because your brain's like, well, how are you going to feel without your brain? Like you got to interpret the words so that I can pick up on what's going on in my body and my heart so that I, so my brain is part of it, mm-hmm. but maybe we just talked about the brain part of it. Now this is the feeling part of it. So this is step right. two. Right. This is like, this is like a deeper layer. So when people talk about empathy being a vulnerable experience, mm-hmm. this is where emotional empathy is, you know, it, it's sometimes called effective empathy mm-hmm. because it's your ability to share the feelings of another person. Like your pain is my pain. And why it's vulnerable is you have to be willing to allow yourself to feel something that this person across from you is feeling. So if a person is telling you about a trauma, you are going to relate to that trauma because you've had trauma. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be like, whoa, I can really feel or experience. Or, you know, if maybe if we haven't had the same trauma, it's that mirror neuron thing where you see their pain and you feel that pain because pain is pain, Mm -hmm. right? If we've had pain and we really like connect with what they're telling us. So but I, I think we need to be careful here because if people are interpreting what we're saying by saying, oh, well, when they tell you about your trauma, you tell them about yours. That's not what we're talking well, about. Well, and I didn't say tell them. Right. I said relate to, yes. which is different. So instead of telling them your version of the story about how you experience something, you're just saying, just feel it. Well, I'm saying that exactly. The feeling of the trauma allows you to have empathy emotional empathy for this person. Yeah. And it and, and we're using the word trauma really loosely. It could just be like, you know, your kid comes home and says, my friend blew me off today. Yeah. And because we're adults, we've all had that experience, yeah. right? And we feel, we remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. If it happened two days ago or if it happened 30 years ago. Yeah. And we go, oh, I know, like we get that pit in our stomach. We're having an emotional, empathetic experience of our child. We're not cognitive where we're like, oh, tell me, what did they say? We're not like at that level of just the thinking. We're actually at the body feeling. So for me, because this, you know, you and I were having a pretty intense conversation a few, few weeks ago. We actually talked about it last week a little bit in very general terms. But what helps me in doing this is I need to drop down, like just that word, like drop down, because I remember you even saying like, you know, all this body awareness thing, you know, I just, I'm reading a book called At the Speed of Life, and it's all about body awareness, like, and you're like, this is when you want to do that. <laughs> Practice it, right? Yes. Yeah. Like uh, the, but I have, I've read the book. It's really important to me. But it's one thing to read something. It's nothing to be able to practice it. So that was just well, a really good you reminder. you are a cognitive empathy expert. Yes, really okay? good at it. You're really good Let's at it. Let's talk about how good I am at cognitive <laughs> empathy. Because you, you not only do you read about it and you're learning about it and you're coaching, but you really want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Todd has a deep... And, and so cognitive empathy is a skill for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and... That is not a problem. I want to put a period at the end of that sentence, period. Now I'm going to start a new paragraph. But when it comes to people like me or your your sister or your kids or your dad, 
sometimes you got to get out of your head yeah. and and not tell us the the experience we're having or what enneagram number we are but to say ouch like i'm feeling what you're feeling and and i think when you and i have discussions or arguments you eventually get there but you don't want to get there cuz who does who this is the thing is i am not being critical of you mm-hmm. because the who wants to dive into their history and their pain? And I'm not saying that being emotionally empathetic is always the best thing. Yeah. Let me be clear. The reason I wanted to talk about these three is because emotional empathy is the one that's going to burn us out. Mm-hmm. Okay? So in no way am I saying you're at a deficit. Yeah. You, As you said last week, you may need to increase your emotional empathy, and I may need to decrease my emotional empathy. Mm-hmm. And then we meet somewhere in the middle. Um, but today, as after we go through these three, we're going to talk about how to kind of play with these three yeah. so we can keep ourselves healthy. So, But what's key to the emotional empathy thing is this is how we build deeper connection. Yeah. This is intimacy. So for those of you that are empaths like myself, and again, I don't love labels, but it's this one is helpful for this show because I have historically had an empathy issue, meaning I didn't know how to deal with it. I feel like I'm much better now, but I'm very spongy and absorby, as a lot of you are. And so I had had to kind of figure that out, which we'll talk more about. But this emotional empathy has allowed me to connect to people in ways that are uncommon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it has also made me sick. And tired. And tired and overwhelmed and all these things that we're talking about with burnout. So let's move to compassionate empathy. Yeah, I have no freaking clue. So compassionate empathy is also called empathetic concern. And it's not just people, you know, understanding others and listening to their feelings. It's actually where we get moved to take action. Mm. So compassionate empathy is our desire to help and take action. And that is... And again, this is why it's fun to talk about this, because in many ways, that's the ideal, right? I understand you. I feel you. I hear you. And this is how I'm going to help you. Mm. Because in the long run, that can be great. But to everything, there is a light and a dark, right? Mm. Because some people skip over emotional empathy and even some cognitive empathy and jump right to compassionate empathy, which is I'm going to take initiative and change this. Well... I don't know if this is going to, if these dots are going to connect, but we've been talking on this podcast forever and it's the same story I've said over and over and over again. But back when you used to work at Children's Memorial Hospital, you'd come home from a long day and you'd tell me about it and I would give you four things that you can do to fix it. (laughs) Right. Would that be compassionate empathy? Well, and... Yes, it is. Because I skipped over the first and the second (laughs) and just went to the third. I think that if we were talking to Daniel Goleman right now, he'd probably say that's not exactly what I was saying, but I think it falls under the umbrella Mm -hmm. because problem solving is a method of wanting to help, right? It's a method of wanting to help. It's also a method of me skipping over my own feelings as well. It's like, I don't want to feel that you had a bad day at work. So instead, I'm just going to fix it. Right. Because I don't want to deal with this discomfort. Uh, And I will give the alternative so people can say, well, then when is this a positive? 
people who take their anger, their frustration, their trauma, and channel it into activism that makes change in our society, that's compassionate empathy. Mm -hmm. That's like, I am not only relating I have not only had this experience, I'm relating to the fact that so many people have had this experience. Like we were talking about Elizabeth Smart. Yeah. That's using her trauma for service and her empathy in connecting to people is I'm gonna make a change in this situation. I'm yeah. gonna talk about shame. I'm gonna or, you know, uh Allie Raisman, who, you know, was one of the survivors of the Larry Nasser situation. She's speaking out for a lot of people. Yeah. Like there is a, I'm going to be of service. But even she, I, I don't know if you listened to the um, the interview she did on Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, but she talked about how overwhelmed she gets because every single person she meets tells her their molestation yeah. or sexual assault or harassment story, and they forget that she's still a trauma survivor as well. Yeah. So she's carrying her trauma plus everybody else's. So you can see how being of service can sometimes be exhausting. Sure. These kind of intermingle, as you can see. Someone on Team Zen, because we were talking about these levels of empathy, or they're not levels, these different types of empathy, and somebody was talking about, they asked a question about their child, I think, and about how they tend to, when their child comes home with an issue, instead of feeling it or like, you know, kind of contemplating it, they jump to action. Sure. And I think a I think lot of all, parents do that. All the time. Yeah, I, I just did it with yeah. with the art project upstairs. So interesting because I was going to commend you because you have you were buried in your office most of the day uh -huh. doing a lot of work, and then one of our kids asked for some support with some homework, and you like just jumped, and I was going to be like, my gosh, like that. What what for me? I'm like, what a first of all because I checked in with her first. Okay, I said, how's everything going? Fine, everything's fine. Uh huh. <laughs> Basically, what she's saying is. Dad is not equipped to help with whatever this is. Now, if it was algebra, she'd probably yes. say... If it was math or science, she'd go to you. So, but you stopped what you're doing and you you supported her. And I was going to like commend you and I want to commend you can. right now. Because it's not a negative. Yeah, because what you did is you put your own needs down. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you probably had something else you want to do that next minute, mm -hmm. but you leapt, you leaped to... Leaped? You leapt? Leapt. You leapt to action. I leapy leapt. You leapy leapt to action, <laughs> and you spent 30 minutes with her uh -huh. doing her thing. So so I want to bless you for that. Thank you. Now, tell me why what you skipped over. I don't know if I did, I, and I don't mean I did it perfectly. Let me talk you through okay. where this, this action, this compassionate empathy comes in, because she, first of all, one thing that I'll say about our girls, and they're older, by the way, so please don't compare if you have kids in um, elementary school, okay, because it's not the same. But my kids being in their teenage years, they basically don't ask Todd for an eye for much at all yeah. when it comes to school. They're they're on their own. They turn in their own stuff. They, you know, they've been absent a few times in the, you know, over this COVID because of the hybrid schedule. And they're like, nope, I'll take the absent. Like they're, they're responsible. It's been, it's been nice. But occasionally, all three of them have a moment, as all kids do, where this is too hard, or I can't do this, or I got a, you know, didn't get a good grade on this test. How do I study? And because they had, take such initiative and they are responsible, the you know, the majority of the time, when they ask for help in school, that's where I want to be in, of service mm -hmm. because especially about things where they're overwhelmed by something that I know once we get going, they're going to be okay. Yeah. So. I guess my point is, is that 
the cognitive empathy piece of her asking for help is I understand why you're annoyed by this mm -hmm. because it's something that shouldn't be difficult that is being made to be difficult. And, um, you know, I can understand why you're annoyed because don't we all get annoyed when something's simple and everyone and someone's making it difficult? So there's the cognitive. The emotional empathy is she's getting teary mm -hmm. and I can, I'm feeling that this is not just a typical school dilemma. Mm -hmm. There's something more going on. So I'm feeling that I'm relating to that. And then the compassion and empathy is this is actually something I can help with and be of service. Yeah. And now we're done. So if you could have had it all over again through the lens of what we're talking about, uh -huh. would you have done it every any differently as far as, you know, allowing her to have her feelings instead of coming in and trying to save her from them or from your own? Or do you feel like it was perfect? You know, well, there's no perfect. I mean, that's that's not what it is. I think that this isn't the best scenario for me to critique because there, you have been a part of situations where I'm way too involved. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't one of those. Mm -hmm. This was simple. Yeah. Meaning I could, again, like I already broke down, I could see why this was annoying and I knew that, that we could make it simple. Yeah. I knew that this was... You could bypass a lot of, day. and I think what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong, you could bypass a lot of drama if you nip this in Correct. the bud. Correct. I knew this could be solved. Where there's been some things that I have cared, like, you know, when my girls feel sad about something that's more social or more like emotional, I carry it around. Mm -hmm. And my emotional empathy, I got to keep that in check. And yeah. I have to work through it with my own therapist. And I have to talk to Todd about it. And I have to journal about it. This wasn't one of those yeah. experiences. So I appreciate your kudos. And I felt like we kind of wrapped it up nicely. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, if I, if I had a kid, and a lot of my clients do, and I know a lot of our listeners who have this too, where they have a kid who really isn't showing up for school, they're, they're not taking responsibility and then they come to you and say, do this project for yeah. me. That's, that's not. Well, in every good. situation, forget about like every, every situation is different. Like right. even if the one kid came to you yesterday, right. it would be different because it was a different day. So it's almost like, you know, one thing that I think you and I hope to cultivate for ourselves and the listeners is you got to be fluid and there are no rules. You got to like exactly. just roll with whatever's happening. And if it's a particularly hard day for your kid, for whatever reason, let's say they had a terrible night's sleep the night before, you know that it's going to go sideways quick. So you may try to nip it in the bud because you know that you're, you're in for a disaster. Whereas if you know, like, no, this is a time for her to step up and, you know, feel your feelings and then work your, navigate your worry through this problem, then you could do it. So like every situation as parents, uh, is different from the day before the kid, you know, it's not, you know, I think it's funny, like any type of rules, you know, every one kid is different from the other. Every day is different from the one from another. So um, yes, I completely agree. And I think that um, you, I love what you said about that there aren't rules mm. because that is like, uh, let me go back to absences again. For those of you who have kids who are hybrid or who, who are home learning virtually, you probably know and have been annoyed by the fact that there's a lot of like, oh, they didn't show up. And then the absent, the, the school calls you and said they were absent for this class or that class. And, and it's happened to us a million times um, where we have to like, you know, either say, no, they were there or work through it with the teacher. But there was, a, I don't know, about 
about a month ago, my middle daughter, she woke up late one day and it, there was a reason, you know, she had something the night before. And I said, you know what, that's okay. I will call you in because this had something to do with family, right? But then the next day she woke up late yeah. and I was like, okay, now this one, mm-hmm. this is not like I'm going to call you in all the time. This one's on you. And yeah. she's like, I know, I take, you know, she took it. My point is, is that the first one made sense from the emotional empathy perspective, from the cognitive empathy, which it made sense why she overslept. The emotional part was, I understand why she needed to sleep. I've been there. And then the service was, I can help you with this. But in the next situation, I could still relate to oversleeping occasionally, but at the same time, I'm not going to call you in this time. because So we're getting kind of focused on details, but you can see how depending on the situation, um, you have to kind of... um, you have to decide what makes sense. Yeah. Discernment, and navigating discernment. through. Um, very, you know, parenting is not easy <clears throat> because there's these little people that you brought into this world and they have a capacity to make our worlds really, really hard. And emotional. And sometimes it's easier just to make their bed for them or to fix the waffles, even though they have every capability to do it because I don't want to be annoyed. And, you know, so it's it's very, um, and this is why it's all an inside job. We have to realize where we are before we go ahead and take action of how best to guide this new, this little, this younger person of how they need to navigate through it. Like we need to, you know, see it to be it, I guess. Well, and that's a perfect example of burnout and overwhelm is that if we stick too closely to rules. This is why I'm not a huge fan of parenting books or to like methodology that we're supposed to follow. Because if we're trying to follow methodology versus being in our sense of self and 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 being a part of humanity and mm. recognizing all these aspects of empathy, then this is when we butt up against each other. Right. Because if we make a rule, like let's talk about the one you just said, that we're you're in charge of your room and I am never going to help you clean your room and that's your responsibility. There are times when our kids are overwhelmed in life or their room has just gotten way away from them for whatever reason because we've been on vacation and they haven't put stuff away, whatever, mm-hmm. where our help not only decreases the frustration for everybody but is actually necessary because their organizational skills, their their prefrontal cortex, their ability to organize is not fully developed. Yeah. And so they need some adult support. You can still say, I would like you to make your bed in the morning, and that can be an expectation. But there are times when it makes sense to step in. And the same reason why there's times when we are struggling and we need to step in. Correct. Correct. Uh, uh, when we are struggling and we need somebody to step in for, for us. us. Yeah. So I was just listening to um, an interview. Again, I feel like I've been talking about Armchair Expert a lot in the last couple of weeks. I guess he's had really good interviews lately, Dex Shepard. But they were talking to uh, Jason Siegel and they were talking about relationships. Um, and I think it was on this one. It doesn't matter because the point is still here. Is that sometimes we are processing or thinking through something or building a story in our mind. Mm. And if we don't release that story by saying something to the effect of, and I don't really use this language, but you do, the story I'm telling myself is this, then we'll just keep processing that false story in our mind and it has nowhere to go. It Mm -hmm. just bounces up against the walls of our brain and we never get to release 
and and find a different story mm. or find out that we the story we were telling ourselves wasn't correct. My point is to what you were saying about that sometimes we need to ask for help and that sometimes a way of asking for help is trusting somebody enough to share what's bouncing around in your head. Yeah. And there's a professional way to do that through having a good therapist. I feel like a great partnership, that's what it's for. Like it, partnerships where people, when people come in and tell me they don't trust their partner or that they would never tell their partner anything or that their partner doesn't understand, I guess my first question is, why are we partners? Yeah. Like what, what are we getting out of this experience? Well, and this is a both and thing too, because I'm sure that there's things that I need to get support on that I don't want your support from sure. and I need a professional and vice versa. Yep, absolutely. But if, but I think what you're saying is, you know, if somebody is, is struggling and they don't want to go to their partner because their partner is not equipped to support that struggling one at all, then I think it, the question that you're asking is, huh, like... Let's focus our energy there then. Yeah, are we sure that... Obviously, there's a disconnection, right. so let's let's work on that disconnection. And it doesn't mean it's unfixable. Sure. It just means I don't think you should be putting your energy over there. Right. I think we should focus our energy here. It's like the story that we always used to tell. This is, you know, for those of you who've been listening a long time, you'll recognize this as, you know, clients that come to me and say you know, my partner won't do this or my husband doesn't understand this or what, you know, this never happens. And I'll say, well, what have you said to him or her about this? You know, what do they say back? And they'll say, well, I, I didn't tell them. Mm -hmm. And that makes no sense. Yeah. You can't be angry about something that someone's not doing if you haven't told them or at least spoken the story you have about it. Yeah. And actually my Zen parenting moment that comes out today is called Speak. Mm. And it's about being able to speak up for yourself and reasons why we don't. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go over these really quick. I wanted to, before we leave, to say a few things about Adam Grant's book. I know we don't have a ton of time. We have, we're at 38 minutes. So okay, we're so we're okay. okay. So the three types of empathy that we talked about were cognitive, mm -hmm. which is the understanding the thought processes and being able to relate in a cerebral way. Yep. Emotional empathy, which is really feeling it, which has a little more connective tissue, mm -hmm. but also has the possibility of greater Burn burnout. Yep. And then compassionate empathy, which is taking charge and being of service, yeah. actually doing something to change it. Hopefully, what you guys heard through this conversation is they all have light and dark, where cognitive empathy is positive in that you're relating and understanding, there can be a lack of warmth sure, because it's a way to, on the, the brain level. Yeah. Emotional empathy is amazing because you're going to connect with someone, you're going to relate, maybe have a good cry with them, but you can understand how that's where burnout comes in. Yeah. Because if you're moving everybody's emotion through your body, that's going to be rough. The last one, compassion and empathy, it's amazing to take action when somebody needs your help, but sometimes we skip over feeling and jump to action, and maybe we need to take a moment. Like what I said to the woman on Team Zen is next time your kid comes home and you want to be of service by jumping to the solution, give yourself two hours to feel and then make a choice. And by waiting that two hours is you are giving them the opportunity to stand on their own two feet. Absolutely. I think a lot of times we hear of situations because we don't think that the person is capable of 
of stepping up. Yes. And because if we go in and save the day, because a lot of times we have the identity is like, I'm somebody who goes in and saves the day. So we want to feel better about ourselves. So we're just going to go in and save every day, everybody's day as we possibly can. But what that does is it precludes somebody from being able to do the same thing for themselves. And you call that heroing. I do. Yes. And it's, you know, it's the idea that we that we don't really believe that somebody has the capability. The two things for a hero to exist, as it's been taught to me, is you need to see somebody else as a helpless victim. And whatever it is that you're doing, it's a temporary solution. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is going to recycle over and over again. And then you get something out of it, even though a lot of times you feel overwhelmed You by get it. a buzz. So this really relates to burnout. Mm-hmm. Because if you are somebody who heroes everybody. If you are somebody who says, oh, they're not going to be able to fix it. Only I can. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'll fix it. Burnout is inevitable. When I even know people who create problems. Of course. So that they can go fix them. We, We have loved ones who used to... When when things were calm, they, they were uncomfortable. Would get very uncomfortable. They wanted crisis yeah. because that is where. And I'm sure if you some of you can personally relate, or you know people who create crisis because they don't know how to live without crisis because yeah. that's where they feel most comfortable. So I think that you know today talking about burnout, I think that mm. the heroing that you talked about, and also regulating your emotional empathy. In that realizing, like, for example, just one one more thing I'll say about it, and then you can, you know, if you have something too, Todd, is what I've realized is that I'm very good at emotional empathy in the heart of the day, like the morning and then, you know, up until about four or five. Mm. And after that, if the girls need something from me that's super deep, I mean, sometimes I don't have a choice. Yeah. Like if something happens, I got to be there. But I've kind of let the girls know I'm much better in the morning and midday. Like if you're coming into my room at 9 p.m. to talk about something really deep, I will listen, but I'm I'm probably going to be a little more cognitive. Well, and you know what sucks about that is that is usually when our kids are much more willing to share. Absolutely. During the day they're busy, they're going from this place to that place, yeah. and... Um, you know, it's only when you're like, okay, TV's off or whatever, screens are off, and then they get bored and like, well, I guess I'll talk to dad about something. Well, and you're much more apt to fall apart at the end of the day because that's when you're overwhelmed. Not a lot of people, I mean, some of us do occasionally, but we don't always fall apart in the morning. Like morning is usually when we're like, okay, I got, I got my act together. Um, at least the best I can do right now. And the nighttime is when you're tired, you're overwhelmed. So like I said, sometimes I have to rise to the occasion, but I'm, I'm more willing to, um, be, to go into those emotions with them and have a good deep discussion before bedtime, Yeah, you know, and they know that now cause they're older. They've kind of had to deal with me in that way. But, um, so anything you want to add about burnout or overwhelm? I don't think so. Okay. So nothing about those three cognitive, um, I guess, or excuse me, those you know, three empathies. I, if I was listening to this podcast, I would like to be like, okay, this is all good. So now, and I don't know if this makes sense. Like some of the, I remember I was looking at some coaching materials and it's about listening uh-huh. and listening and empathy could be, you know, maybe there, there's some similarities there. Listen with your head, listen mm-hmm. with your heart mm-hmm. and listen with your gut. Mm-hmm. So I guess if I was, if I was, what I would like to say to the people who are listening is empathize with your head, empathize with your heart mm-hmm. and, empathize, and the gut is the action. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be the compassionate. So it's not, it's, can, can these three parts of us dance a little bit? Yes. 
Um, and before we pressed record today, I didn't even remember that there's three different types of empathy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just something nice to have on our radar. Next time you get triggered or reactive from your kid or your partner, know that it's an inside job and dance with these three different ways of listening or being empathic. And deciding that you're going to be empathetic or not, as if it's a binary, like you're choosing one or the other. I feel like these three definitions expand our concept of empathy. So if you really are exhausted mm -hmm. and you're like, I can't go deep into that emotional empathy right now, just do some cognitive, yeah. just kind of relate, reflect back. So you don't have to like give up empathy altogether. And, the, and these are again, tools to decrease your, you know, the, the idea that the only way I can be empathetic to somebody is to take on their emotion. Yeah. That's not true. It might be the best way to connect is to really feel with that person, but you don't have to give up being empathetic and, and I, and I have had to learn this the hard way. I, I'm telling you, like, I thought the only way to be with people was to be with people on the most deepest plane of awareness possible. And that was exhausting. And my ability to have boundaries, to, to decide to maybe take a more cognitive approach or to say to my children, I'm not good after 9 PM. Those are tools that allow me to re remain empathetic instead of just bailing. Well, and it's funny, you always see things in imagery. Uh huh. What just came up for me is on one side is, let's just say that I am further to the one side where I am less empath empathic, not as good at listening with my heart and all that. So like the extreme version of Todd is robotic. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a robot. Mm -hmm. I'm a machine. And the extreme version of Kathy is I think of like you just melting into Absolutely. nothing. Absolutely. Just mm -hmm. like just melting yep. into no substance at all. Yep. I'm worn down and withered. Yes. Mm -hmm. So anyways. Yeah. And we have to find our own stability. And this is, you know, and again, Todd and I are kind of starting this conversation in the middle. You know, for those of you who have never listened to Zen Parenting Radio, we have talked about all of these like um, you know, the pillars of understanding self-awareness and mindfulness and connection and compassion and communication. Like my hope is that you've listened to shows previously or that you will in the future. So you understand how to incorporate your own well-being and self-care into empath in being an empathetic person that we can't give what we don't have. And while some people debate that, I mean it in a very literal way. Mm. If you have energy, then you have energy for other people. Yeah. If you are an empty cup, you have nothing to give. Mm. So part of burnout is just a very matter of fact self-care issue. Yeah. You know, later on, uh, either this week or either next week or the next week, Todd and I are going to talk more in depth about tools, about things we can do. Sweetie, next week is creativity and balance. Yep. The week after that is look around. Look around. Look, look around. around. So next week and the following week are a little more about tools mm. and ways that we can take care of ourselves and ways that we can learn how to decrease and um, increase our empathy volume. So this is just more about the idea of why we get burned out. Yeah. And I, I wanted to launch into... Um, Adam Grant has a new book called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And I've had kind of a fun experience with it for the last week where I've heard him interviewed on several different podcasts. And I've also, I'm in the middle of his book. I'm not done. Um, about three-fourths of the way through, actually. And I really, 
like this book, and I think it relates really well to what we talk about on this show. Okay. Um, he uses a lot of research, and it, it kind of reminds me of a Malcolm Gladwell thing in that he's making you rethink things yeah. that you may have just assumed, yeah. right? And his idea, and this relates really well to, um, you know how we talked about a month or two ago about emotional agility, about our ability to move from positive emotions to maybe more heavy emotions and know that's okay, yeah. that we can be agile and we can move back and forth. He talks about cognitive agility. Mm. And I think this relates to decreasing burnout in that sometimes we have these belief systems where we're like, the only way I can connect with someone is this way, or as a parent, I have to do this, or as a partner, I have to be this, or as a woman, I have to be this, or as a man, I have to do this. And what I love about cognitive agility is question yourself, hmm. like, thus his book, like, think again, like, we think we know so much, but that, that Don Henley quote, you know, the more I know, the less I understand from his song, um, from his song, Heart of the Matter. Thank you. I was going to sing it for you, just so because is really the truth. Like you, we need to. When something is new, we tend to think we're experts, right? We when something when we're learning something, you know, for the first time, or if we're like, you know, our kids have are they're a certain age. They they turn thirteen, and we're like, oh, I know what thirteen's all about. I understand thirteen. I was thirteen, and we think we're somehow experts here. But really, it's kind of new for you as a parent. You yep. know, you've got a new 13-year-old. And maybe, yes, you were 13, but maybe you should ask them about what 13-year-old, you know, what it means to be a 13-year-old. Maybe you should not assume you're an expert. Yeah. I think, and I think what you're saying is the minute anything shows up in our awareness, I think our brain starts deciding yeah. and judging and calculating how best to respond to it. Correct. And I think what you're saying is the words that are coming to me is curiosity. Yes. Wonder. Yes. An unknowing. Yeah, we were 13. We were 13 when it was 1985. Like being, a different world. Being 13 in 2021 is a completely different thing. Or, oh, you got, you got in a fight with your boss. Well, I got in a fight with my boss, but these are two completely different things. So can you be curious and wonder? And that kind of feeds into this empathic, understanding that we're talking about. Exactly. And the ability to, again, I love that you know language, cognitive agility, the ability to really question and say, yeah, I, I have some experience. You don't have to like say like, I know nothing. I have some experience, but I am willing to be open to the fact that I don't know everything. And I loved, you know, where he focuses in on that people who know a little bit of information think they know everything. People who really are experts in their field realize that they know nothing. Mm -hmm. They realize that there's always something new to learn. And so the people who are really adamant and want you to believe they're experts are sometimes the people that don't know as much. And I think that comes from our own sense of insecurity. Correct. When, when we're first learning something, then we... Um, we're like, well, this has got to be it. So this is the only way that it is. And then if you engage in a deeper understanding, you're realizing that everything that you thought could be different or I don't know. Could be viewed a different yeah. way. Well, and I think what you're saying is that I think when we start learning something, we want to demonstrate to people our knowledge. Yes. Is that we want to 
to have people respect our perspective. The interesting thing is, though, I actually, I something in the book that I really liked is that, uh, and we can relate this to ourselves. He says in the book, in high school, students who admit when they don't know something are rated by teachers as learning more affected, effectively and contributing to their peers. So their peers' awareness and education. I guess my point is in that is we assume the opposite. Yeah. We tell our we tell our students like, you know, you're expected to know these things or don't make mistakes. Or we say to ourselves in a business meeting, don't raise your hand and say you don't know what they're talking about because people will think you're dumb. And it's actually the opposite. This is what cognitive agility is. It's questioning what you were told or what trauma taught you or what you were trained to, to feel at an early age that no longer is true. And this ability to, in just some really quick examples he gives in the book, he talks about how the idea of, um, what is what does he call it? Oh, first instinct fallacy? We've been taught to believe, I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. I know I was, that if you're taking a test, you should never go back and change answers. Yeah, trust your gut. Trust your gut because if you go back and change it, you'll do worse. Yeah. That's not true. The, yeah. the research is that's the first instinct fallacy is that you should always go with your first instinct. And they found that people who do rethink their first answers rather than staying like completely anchored to them, they end up improving their scores. Yeah, I've read that because they a University of Illinois study and then they saw the eraser marks yes. and they calculated the eraser marks of how many were right or wrong after erasing it. Um, so yeah, and, and what I'm getting out of what, this conversation is ask questions, right? be less certain. Correct. Which is so funny because to your point, this is a society that says, don't show your weakness. Yes. Uh, be certain, be, yes. a, be powerful. Yes. How powerful can you be if you're asking questions? And I think what we're trying to do is turn all this on its head. Well, let me play with that language. You're more powerful by asking questions. The other is overpowering, yeah. which is I'm going to dominate this mm -hmm. discussion. I bet if you were to go back and listen, because we've been doing Zen parenting for 10 years, I bet especially in our first five years, my mindset was much more about please know that I know these things. Yeah. Like, here's all this stuff I know. And I feel like in the last five years has been a lot more about, I don't know a lot. Yeah. I, I read a ton and I'm educated and I, and I have all those things that I, that I view as important, but everything now that I know all this information, I realize how it's all contradictory. Yeah. I realize we live in a paradox. I realize that everything is gray or as, one of my clients said to me, because uh, I, I always talk about things being gray, she's like, I like to look at things as a rainbow instead. Yeah. I thought that was good. Um, so that is, the more you learn about a topic, the, roar, the more you realize you're not certain. Yeah. And that's that's strength. The other, the other story he tells is the whole, and this one I laughed so hard because Todd and I talk about this on the show all the time, about the, the frog boiling, how you put a frog in water and if you turn it up slowly, that the frog will slowly boi get boiled because it doesn't notice the heat. Yeah. It's 100% not true. Yeah. There's research about it. Like if, if a frog gets tossed into a, a really hot scalding pot, he may not escape. Yeah. Okay. But the frog is actually better off in a slow boiling pot. It will leap out as soon as the water starts to get too uncomfortable. So we've been using that mm -hmm. as an analogy. Yeah. And it's not even true. No. So cognitive agility is the ability to go, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> maybe 
I'm not right. Yeah, question everything. Question previous assumptions. Correct. And the language that... Um, uh, the two words that Adam Grant uses throughout the book, Think Again, is confident humility. Mm. And I love that language because I love being confident. Confident for me comes from I've read this, I've worked through it, I practiced it, I understand it at a, at a core level. That's confidence for me. Humility, though, is somebody coming in with a different idea and going, huh, that's good. Yeah. I didn't consider that. Confidence without humility is overpowering. Yeah. And it's also like a brick wall. Yeah. Like how annoying so is it to talk to someone automatic like that? disconnection. Automatic disconnection. So um All right. anything else that you want to say? I don't think so, sweetie. Okay. So for those of you who that have appreciated this conversation about empathy in the month of February, empathy volume, just know that next week we are going to continue this conversation and we're going to talk about creativity and balance. And what that means is creative ways to manage your empathy and how to find. And again, when Todd and I use the word balance on Zen parenting, we don't mean there is a perfect balance. We mean the seesaw of learning how to go back and forth of recognizing when you're out of balance and then coming back the other way. Mm -hmm. So it's really more of a pendulum than it is perfect balance. Yeah, there's no such thing as a perfect balance. No, it's like going back and forth. Um, Team Zen, we actually have a Zen talk today at 2.30. So if you happen to be listening when this gets released and you want to join the team, you can join for free by entering the coupon code FRIEND. And uh, we just did a big uh, swag get- giveaway we to did. a whole bunch of our Team Zen peeps. So hopefully um, everybody's happy with what they got. Yeah, the we it actually started because Michelle Accard, who wrote a new book called 14... 14, tell, 14 Conversations. Conversations Before 14. Yeah. That's it. And it's coming out. Um, she's an expert when it comes to middle school. She's written other books um, about middle schoolers and this, this middle time. And she has this new book coming out February 23rd, and we have Michelle Accard coming to talk to Team Zen. She's not going to be on the podcast. She's going to be talking to Team Zen and answering questions. And so we were giving away her book because we have a copy. And there were so many people on Team Zen who wanted it that Todd's like, let's just give away a bunch of swag. Mm -hmm. So we tend to do that. And then uh, I do this thing called Men Living. Uh, It is an opportunity for guys to connect in an authentic way. So if there's, uh, if you happen to be female and you're listening and there's men in your life that might be interested, send them to menliving.org. And if there's any guys out there, I do coaching, one-on-one coaching, go to toddadamscoaching.com. First session is free. Would love to connect with you. And then lastly, we have this bald-headed beauty. His name is Jeremy Kraft. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. And you can uh, reach him by going, calling him at 630-956-1800. Or his website is avidco.net. Um, anything else, sweetie? That's it. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you, or we'll be talking to you next Tuesday. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. 
a special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low pressure, 75 minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. Uh, he is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout Chicago and area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.